Hello and welcome to the You Matter to Christ podcast. Many of our listeners and guests call this podcast an experience because throughout the variety of extraordinary people we have on the show, you'll hear stories of overcoming trauma, hitting record-breaking business goals, people forgiving the unforgivable, and yes, even miracles that will shock and inspire you. On this show, you'll hear from professional athletes, entrepreneurs, and everyday people from all walks of life. Discover the profound truth that regardless of your background or circumstances, you matter deeply to the creator of the universe. You were made for a purpose, and you matter to Christ. Get ready for inspiring stories, personal testimonies, and uplifting messages that remind us of the unchanging love and grace available to all. And remember this, you matter to Christ. Hey everybody, Chad Burmeister, and I'm your host of Living a Better Story podcast. And we've got an amazing guest today because I wrote a kid's book called Oops, I Stepped in My Poop recently. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, stuff comes at us and, it, and how we react to the stuff is important. And who do we lean on for support is important. Community, relationship with God and all those kinds of things. So I'm so excited because Rachel Bruno was referred to us as a guest on the show. And that's the best kinds of conversations you can have. So Rachel, 2015, you open rachelbruno.com as a result of what I would call a traumatic situation. And it turns out that's often when God shows up on scene. So I'm so excited to have a conversation with you. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much, Chad. My pleasure. <laughs> oh, what, a, what an amazing uh, the book. So the book you've written is called uh, Fractured Hope. Right. So we'll get there. Before yeah. we do, I've found the best way is to rewind the, rewind the tape. Let's go back to when you're younger. And those are the times where we lean into passion, right? We're unfettered by the world at that point. Right. <laughs> Tell us about who were you when you were little? What was your thing? Oh, gosh, I loved music. I loved being on stage. I was a performer at heart. <laughs> so I should have known back then that I should have been a public speaker or a writer. <laughs> <laughs> well, we talked about the play. So here's the shoulder tap. Be ready because you may be signing up for something here. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> Wow. So yeah. And what was it about that, that you feel you love? Cause I heard music in there, playwright act. I mean, there's a lot, you know, you could be right. all roles in that yeah. and they're all equally exciting maybe. Yeah. I mean, with music, I just love to sing, you know, God did give me the gift of music. And when I was very young, like three years old, you know, we came from Brazil after my father passed away when I was nine months old, my mom was a single mother and a widow at 28. And we came to Brazil. I mean, we came to America from Brazil mm -hmm. through a church that sponsored us. My mom went to Bible school. And I mean, they embraced us like, like we couldn't have imagined, right? I mean, they were our family here. And at my mother's Bible school graduation, the senior pastor asked me to come on stage at three years old 
<laughs> and he put me in his arms, was holding me, just having a conversation with me on stage. And he asked me to sing Jesus Loves Me. Wow. <laughs> and I started singing the song. You know, his wife was on the piano. Of course, the pastor's wife is on the piano. And she started following me on the piano. And I heard there was not a dry eye in that room. <laughs> wow, that's just, I can hear it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because that's that's the message that that comes through loud and clear on this podcast mm -hmm. is that when you're young, come to me, little children, because yeah. you don't have the weight of the world on you yet. Yeah. And that's really what we need to learn. Love the mm -hmm. Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and right. with all your might. Meaning yeah. it's hard because mm -hmm. there's mindset, there's, there's heart, there's soul. How do you define the buckets and, right. and what, how do you know it's not, you're not being misled down the wrong path. Right. And then rule number two, love the neighbor as yourself, new yes. Testament. Right? So very, yeah. very exciting. I can yeah. just hear that. And we did, in addition to the play, there's a song that's mm -hmm. looking for a singer oh. <laughs> <laughs> about the day that COVID almost took me off of earth. Oh, and it's, it's, and I wrote it with a cross from a woman who's a very good writer yeah. and like, we're going to record the Phantom of the Opera version, like in her tonalities and yeah. in mine, but it also needs to really go to the Jesus loves me level. Yeah. And, <laughs> okay. There we well, go. First so. soprano, second soprano, alto. I've done them all. <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, there we go. I have a feeling there's something there. So <laughs> thinking about Jesus loves me that I can just hear that. How has that been the thread through your life? And, and where does that show up for you? Oh my goodness. I mean, everywhere, you know, like I said, we came here based on tragedy, you know, it was a very tragic event that my dad died and my dad was a pastor in Brazil. He was also a medical doctor and our connection to America was when all the missionaries would go to Brazil he was one of the only people who spoke English at that time, you know, 30, 40 years ago. So he would translate for all these pastors. And when they found out that he passed away, you know, Jesus showed his love for my mother and I by that Bible verse. He takes care of the widow and the orphan. Mm. And he showed up every step of the way. I mean, we were never, never without food, never without shelter, never without people there to support us. And that has been the case my whole life. I mean, my mom didn't get remarried until I was 15 years old. So it was basically just me and her and God in this life. <laughs> so you're an only child. I am. <laughs> okay. Uh, so you have strong will and want to lead things, lead people to where they need to go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. my past, our pastor in premarital counseling said 90% of marriages are between a first and a second. And a first and a first sometimes is like, grind. Yeah. You know. <laughs> we're going to McDonald's. No, we're going to Taco no. Bell. <laughs> wow. Let me ask you this question that's, that's not in my show notes, because mm -hmm. I've had this conversation very recently. And it's kind of Old Testament, New Testament. And it's, it's, it's a subjective one, I would say, because did, is the Bible God's word? Is it man's interpretation of God's word? Or is it a combination of both of those? And it's a, it's a complex question that I've never yeah. really wrestled with. And so yeah. it was just posed to me this morning. And I'm like, huh, because if you answer, well, it's an interpretation, then it's like, well, 
you're, you know, you're going to get a whole group of people that are like, no, yep. don't you understand? Yep. <laughs> and so it's probably one we don't want to put a marker down on the show because it's above our pay grade. Right. Um, but it, but it's an interesting one because as you, as you read translations of the Bible, depending yeah. on who translated it, like one of them says, Hey, you know, if you do your tithe time, talent, mm-hmm. treasures of 10%, God will open the floodgates of heaven. And and one translation says, tempt me. And one says, prove me. Mm -hmm. And I firmly believe that it's proved because God doesn't say tempt me. That's And so somewhere along the line in the last 2000 years, probably more recently, because we didn't have an internet then, right? (laughs) They've they've somehow flipped the pancake and said, tempt me. And so that's where it's, it gets interesting. And I think I have an opinion and you're, you're seeing it (laughs) through there. (laughs) Man screws stuff up and God doesn't have have a direct connection and path to him. It becomes extremely clear and obvious. Oh, that's what he means. So that's, that's my view. All right. Tell us about what you love about your career today. And maybe, maybe before that, we need to go to the 2015 incident, because I think that's led you to there. So tell us about your trauma. I think it involves being incorrectly accused of something. Tell us about what that looks like. So just a little background about me. I have seizures, right? In my medical history, I've had seizures since I was about five years old and didn't get them under control until I was probably about 26. So a lot of medicines back and forth, didn't get my driver's license, you know, a lot of stuff on my end. And I finally got it under control. And we found out that one of the main triggers of my seizures are sleep deprivation and like interrupted sleep. You know, when that cycle gets interrupted, it can trigger a seizure. Mm -hmm. So when I had kids, if you are a mom out there, you know, you ain't sleeping. (laughs) So my doctors told me, you know, you need to get somebody to help you at least with the night shift so that you can get those solid eight hours of sleep. Mm -hmm. And in that case, I got a nanny and I interviewed her. You know, she was a mother herself. Her husband was in the military, you know, no red flags for me. She started taking care of my son when he was seven days old. And this is my second child, Lucas. And at seven weeks old, I woke up to him just screaming at about four o'clock in the morning. And I looked at the clock, I'm like, okay, diaper change, feeding, you know, something like that. He stopped crying. A few minutes later, he starts again. And this went on for about 20 minutes before I finally decided to get up. I'm like, okay, you know, what's going on? I go down the hallway, you know, she has the room open, the doors open. She has the baby swaddled in the crib and kind of like rocking him back and forth and shushing him next to his ear. And then I walk into the room. I said, anything happen? She showed me the empty bottle and she's like, I just fed him. He's really gassy. Okay, no, fair enough. Babies get gassy. Again, he's seven weeks old, newborn. And at this point, my husband is out of state on a business trip. I have my 20 month old son who's sleeping directly across the hallway and this screaming seven week old baby. And I tell her, you know, he's obviously not going to settle down. So why don't you go home? I'm already awake anyway. I'll take it from here. So I unswaddled him, you know, looking for any rashes, fevers, nose leaking, you know, any symptoms that I could figure out. And there was nothing. I put him on my skin to skin, right? I gave him skin to skin and he fell asleep. So I'm like, okay, you just wanted your mommy. Forward three hours later, seven o'clock in the morning, he's screaming again. I'm like, okay, last feeding four o'clock, seven o'clock, you're hungry. I try to nurse him and he would not nurse. He refused 
to latch on, you know, something I never had any problems with before. But I was kind of jaded with the gassiness, you know, colic. I'm like, okay, maybe you're still gassy. You just don't want to eat right now. And long story short, six hours of this going on with him not eating, with him not Sure, because you, your spidey sense is up and yet you're yeah. going, but it's a child that's seven weeks old. Right. Stuff happens. So right. it's you're toggling between what's going on here. Yeah. Yeah. So I call the pediatrician. I'm like, you know, he won't eat. I don't know what's wrong with him. And she's like, we won't be able to see him till three o'clock this afternoon. And I said, no, he's been crying for six hours. He's not eating. He, this is not normal. I need to see somebody. And she said, well, then take him to the emergency room. So I call my mom who was with her husband who was having cataract surgery. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, can you find someone else to give him a ride? Please come here. Cause I need to take this kid to the hospital. I don't know what's wrong. We get everybody in the car, go to the hospital and he stops crying in the car. Of course, as you know, kids love to sleep in the car. <laughs> I get to the emergency room. I tell them what the symptoms were. He's there perfectly fine, not crying. He's sleeping. But the doctor asked me to lay him down on the bed and he walks away. I'm thinking, okay, he's probably going to give me Benadryl or something. Tell me to go home. But he stops at the doorway, probably about 10 feet away from my son. And he's just laser focused, like just staring at my son. And there's probably about four people in there. Everybody's quiet. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, this is weird. And then he walks towards the bed and he goes straight to my son's head right behind his ear. He said, did you feel this? I said, no. So he grabs my hand. He makes me touch it. Like, you feel that bulge? Like, yeah. I said, that's fluid that's leaking from his brain. Whoa. I'm like, okay. I'm like, what does that mean? Whoa. Like, it could be spinal cerebral fluid or it can be blood. We need to go do CT scan right now to see what's going on. And as soon as he says that, about 10 people run into that room. The nurses are putting probes on him, putting tubes on him. I mean, doing everything. And I'm just sitting there holding my son. Like, I'm in shock. Like, I have no idea what's going on. They raise up the rails. They start pushing me down to the CT room. And then his right arm starts twitching. Mm. And when his right arm starts twitching, they really start to push it. I look up at the nurse. I'm like, is this normal? She said, no. And then it hit me, me being an epileptic. Left side of the brain, right arm twitching. Mm. He's having a seizure. Wow. And first thing that came to my mind is, oh my God, it's genetic, right? It's hereditary. I pass this on to my son. I say a little prayer for him right there. My like, God, please spare my son from having to live with this like I did for my whole life. Mm -hmm. And it was just enough time to get there. Doctors put him in the CT machine, asked me to wait outside. Results come about 10 minutes later. And this is Bruno. I said, yeah. Doctor calls me to the back room where all the monitors are. And he said, this is very serious. Like, okay, like the fluid that's leaking is blood. The brain hates blood. And what caused it was a cranial fracture. And I'm still like, okay, I'm thinking a million things. Like never did I imagine a malicious act, Sure. right? I'm thinking bleeding, was it an aneurysm? Yeah, because now you start to have to put two and two together and go, wait right. a minute, that doesn't just happen. Right. Uh, you know, yeah. But then the fracture, I'm thinking, you know, he's seven weeks old. The brain isn't complete. The cranium isn't completely formed yet. Mm -hmm. Like, did one of those flaps pop open? You know, I'm coming up with a bunch of things in my head. Mm -hmm. And the doctor's like, we need to go get him into emergency surgery. Are you against blood transfusions? I'm like, I don't care what you do to my son. Save my son. Mm -hmm. So off he goes into the operating room. And I'm there with my mom. 
and my 20 month old son, David, at the hospital. My husband is on an airplane, have no idea what's going on. And I start texting my family in Brazil. I start texting everybody at church. I'm like, I don't know what just happened. My son is in brain surgery right now. Please pray. So we're all praying. And four hours later, he comes out of surgery. The physician you know, comes to get me and he says, everything went well clinically. We were able to drain the blood. We were able to fix the fracture. And of course my question is, is he okay? Is he brain damaged? Is he going to be brain damaged? And the we doctor says, we really don't know, mm -hmm. right? Due to his young age. And he is in a medically induced coma right now. We don't know if he's going to survive the next 48 hours. Oh, wow. He started having a lot of seizures after the surgery, probably due to the irritation of the blood coming into contact with the brain. So it was like 15 surgeries, I mean, 15 seizures an hour. So like we put him in a, a coma so that, you know, we can control this and try to get him on the right medication. So, you know, all this coming at me and I go into that room and takes me to the PICU. I just see what looks like a lifeless baby, right? He has gauze wrapped all over his, his head. He has tubes coming out of every orifice you can imagine. And those machines just beeping in the background, right? And I remember oh, yeah. holding him. Beep. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Holding his hand and praying. And I said, God, I don't care if I have to dedicate the rest of my life to taking care of my son. I will just don't take him away from me. Mm. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit, I heard it loud and clear. Yes. He's mine. Wow. He's mine. I gave him to you. Nobody's going to take him away from you. And that peace that surpasses all understanding at that point, like, okay, you're right, God, he is yours. And there is no better place for him to be than in your hands. He's yours. And that was it, right? I looked at my mom, hugged my mom. Then I go into, you know, mom mode. Like, what am I going to do with my other son? I'm obviously not leaving the hospital tonight. Call my friend to pick up my son and my mom, go spend the night with your grandma. And my husband was on his way from Arizona at this point, I think, to California and just text messages. So I'm there at the hospital waiting for him to come home. And next thing I know, there's a knock on the door. And I see a man in a uniform, a police officer, and another lady beside him with a clipboard. And they knock on the door like, Miss Bruno, can we speak to you? I said, sure, yeah. Um, I'm thinking that's weird. What is a police officer doing here? But okay. And first words out of his mouth were what happened to your son was worse than getting shot in the head by a bullet. I'm like, okay, we want to help you. Will you help us? Help you figure out how this happened to your son. I'm like, of course, absolutely. And if they're asking me for help, I mean, in my head, I'm like, they know it was the nanny, right? Sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so I sit down with them, tell them the whole saga from four o'clock in the morning till we got to the hospital. And the police officer just kept questioning, you know, why did you wait so long to bring him to the hospital? I said, because I didn't know what was wrong. You know, she told me he was gassy. Why didn't you call 911? Like, again, I didn't know. I thought he was gassy. Why did you bring him to a hospital in Orange County when you live in LA County? And this is the children's hospital that I know. And he's just jotting things down. 
And then the social worker next to me, do you have any other children? I think I do. Where are they? What are their names? How old are they? So I tell them. And it's around nine o'clock at night at this point. Wow. She says, you know, can we go see him? And I said, he's probably asleep by now. And she said, we're not going to wake him. We just want to make sure he's okay. So again, at this point, me thinking I have nothing to hide, right? And these people are here to help me. So I call my mom. I tell her, you know, they're on their way. They want to see David. And she leaves at that point. And the police officer asked me if I was willing to wait for the detectives, that the detectives were on their way and they wanted to speak to me as well. So I said, okay. Yeah. At this point, Spidey sense is going up and I'm going, hang on, let me call right. someone. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I really did not. I was very naive. I guess you could say I was very naive. I was not expecting anything. And they're just doing discovery. So you're like, right, okay, right. They're doing discovery. I'm cooperating. Right. So the detectives show up. I mean, they interview me. They did not call it an interrogation. They told me it was an interview until two o'clock in the morning. And I'd been up since four o'clock in the morning. So I've been almost up for 24 hours. And I tell them, you know, I really need to go to sleep. Like, I don't want to have any seizures now. <laughs> I can continue this on later this morning if you would like, but I need to go to sleep right now. So they were very amicable. You know, gave me their business cards. Call us when, you, when you're ready. I went to sleep. I wake up at about 10 o'clock in the morning and my husband is just staring at me like this blank look on his face. And my first instinct is to look at the baby. You know, I'm like, the machines are beeping. He's alive. You know what happened? And he tells me they took David. Like, what do you mean they took David? Who? Where? We don't know. They're not answering their phones. And they showed up at two o'clock in the morning at your mom's house. Wow. And they took David. Whoa. And I call my mom. I'm like, what happened? She said, they show up here at two o'clock in the morning with three police cars, three officers, armed officers. The social worker comes in, walks through the house, opens the refrigerator. There's food there walks through the house, the baby was sleeping in the crib. Then she turns on the light. My son wakes up, right, two o'clock in the morning, giddy and happy, thinking it's playtime. And my, she asked my mom to remove his clothes so that she could look, you know, no signs of abuse. And then she tells my mom, we're taking him. And, and he's how old at this time? He is 20 months old. Okay, got it, yeah. And my mom is like, no, you're not. <laughs> And she's like, well, if you don't give them to us, we're going to arrest you. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And there are three cops there. Nobody's saying anything. And my mom is like, if I go to jail, do I take him with me? <laughs> and the social worker, no, he's going to go to foster care. And you're not going to be able to care for him because you're going to have a criminal record. Oh, my goodness. So at this point, you know, my dad, my stepdad at this time is calling lawyers. Two o'clock in the morning, of course, nobody will answer. We're trying to delay. And at this point, I was at the hospital sleeping. My husband was at the hospital on the phone with the social workers, telling them, you can't do this. You don't have my permission to do this. You can't do this. And they did it. So they took my son at two o'clock in the morning. Didn't tell us where they were taking him, why they were taking him. I mean, we were just completely lost, like thrown off guard. I have no idea, no idea what was going on. So it's the morning after. My husband is calling social services and I start calling lawyers. So I finally get a lawyer that would, you know, listen to our case. It's hard. I found you have to call yeah. this one, get a referral and you go, right. yeah, it's, uh, someone, three people told me I should talk to you. 
yes. oh, really? Three? You know, <laughs> it's like, that's part of the game with that. Yeah, no, I had to call like 10 different lawyers before that's I got right. this one. Yeah. So I go to his office and I'm like, okay, where is my son and where do I go get him? Hmm. And he tells me, sit down. I sit down, like, you have no idea what you're in for. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Hmm. I didn't do this. Like, they can't just go pick up my, take my son. He's like, yes, they can. Hmm. And I'm like, what happened to the constitution? What happened to innocent until proven guilty? What about the nanny? He said, this is family court. They don't follow constitutional law. Mm. I'm like, what other law is there? <laughs> wow, wow. <laughs> and he said, they can do whatever they deem is in the best interest of the child. And it's interesting because it's a, it's a fine line, right? It's, it's right. like if you took one hard way or the other, yeah, it's you have to look at it from 360 degrees, and there's yeah. human subjectivity in the middle of all of that. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. So I'm like, okay, so what, what, what are you telling me? What does this mean? He's like, what happened to your son is criminal, right? To my infant, to Lucas. Mm -hmm. You are facing 15 years in jail and a hundred thousand dollar bail if they decide to charge you. Mm. And I'm like, I didn't do this. He's like, I believe you. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, so what do you, what, what do we do? Like, you're not getting your kids back. Like if I go into that courtroom and I ask the judge to give the kids back to you, social services are going to present, you know, to the judge that you have a criminal case open, that you are a danger to your child, to your infant and to the sibling. And if they're under two years old and nonverbal, they can be legally adopted by the foster family. If the case lasts longer than six months. What and a systematic error in our system. Yeah. Yes. And he's like, and they will make it last longer than six months. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, adoption? Like, what? <laughs> For something I didn't do, right? Yeah. yeah. That's what, that's what it, see, these are moments where you, you feel like what it must have felt to be like Jesus. Yeah. And you go, oh, yeah. like, I didn't do anything wrong. And yet I'm flogged. Like, what yeah. is going on here? Yeah. Yeah. And he said, your saving grace is that your husband was out of state when this happened. So legally speaking, he wasn't even at the crime scene. Oh, so he could be the angel in disguise. Yes. yes. So the blessing in disguise. Wow. Like we're going to ask the judge to give sole custody to your husband. Wow. That way they don't even risk going into foster care. Sure. But if the judge grants that, they are going to kick you out of the house. Sure. Right. And you'll do anything for a kid. A mother yeah, loves like, their what kid. What choice did yeah. I have? <laughs> hey, I'll see you in Hawaii every, right. every couple of years or once this all passes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I mean, I left that office. Like what country am I living in? Like what, what just happened? Wow. So, so now let me ask this question because, and, and I know there's more to the story. Um, mm -hmm. And, and I want to, I, I definitely want to, we might have to do a part two, to be honest with right. you. Right. Or by the book. <laughs> As you look back, there's two things related to the people who were involved in that, right? They're playing within the system. And so they're, right. they're doing their job, right? Like right. you matter and you matter and you matter. Right. And so the question is, number one is around forgiveness. But then the second one, and this one's interesting because especially when it's a tragic incident, like someone died or this thing you went through mm -hmm. I'm, I'm this is all personal belief but i'm to a point where at some point first you forgive the person mm 
-hmm. like almost no matter what, not almost no matter what it is. Cause Jesus's example is, Hey, as long as you've accepted me, come with me, man, we're going to heaven together. And, and then the second one is hard because, and I don't, I don't know if this is true for everyone or if it's even truth. It's just my truth. I feel like I'm thankful for like the three traumatic moments I had this year. Mm-hmm. That that's what gave me the most amazing soulful love with my wife now, because mm-hmm. I felt for a little while, Oh, we're going through ups and downs. Oh, it's a, I'm like scoring the relationship. Silly. Yeah. And so yeah. when I'm 10 minutes from the end of the road during COVID and I'm leaning up against the wall on September 23rd at 3.37 in the morning, I was like, God, if you have to take me right now, it's fine. Like you can, because I'm at peace. Yeah. And, and, and then what clicked, I go, wait, why am I at peace? Because my wife loves me unconditionally. And I'm like, wait, if she loves me unconditionally, Jesus loves me unconditionally. God does. Wait, like she's on par. She's and nobody's nobody's going to be God. I think there's people who are going to start to say that because they're going to come to realization <laughs> of all this. But mm-hmm. we can approach five nines reliability like Northern California yeah. when you're in a network. <laughs> five nines reliability. You're never going to be God, but you can approximate God. And when my yeah. wife shows Jesus's love, and I'm like, hey, you can raise our kids and their kids' kids. You be the grandma. And when you relinquish that control and surrender. everything changed. So is there any thankfulness to you? Because there's the forgiveness and and you've forgiven everyone involved. Is there any level of, well, I'm thankful it happened, even though it sucks or or not? (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, you say that level means so many moments, right? Where in pain, Mm -hmm. joy and pain, right? Consider it all. (laughs) Joy joy. and pain. I like (laughs) sunshine and rain. And I'm like, I grew up hearing all these Bible verses. Totally. Right. But here I was actually living this. I'm like, this is like my human brain. This is crazy, right? How can I feel joy at this moment? Yes. <laughs> but seeing all the people that surrounded me hmm. and who just loved me unconditionally, hmm. who never questioned my character. I mean, they, I, I felt so loved in this, yeah. in this whole and thing. A, and a couple question your character probably, right? There's a few that are surprising where you go, what? Or did nobody question? Not really. Nobody questioned my character. I mean, my husband was with me. My lawyers were with me. Like I had to get character letters for the court hearing. Yeah, and some totally. of these people I hadn't spoken to in like 20 years. And I call them, you know, and I'm desperate. I'm crying. And they're like, of course, Rachel will write you a letter. Like, no question. See, what that tells me is you lived, you've lived a life of five nines reliability. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. some of us, and and if you read my grandfather's, when I wrote the book, Oops, I Stepped in My Poop, (laughs) here's the 10 things, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and with all your might. Love your neighbor as yourself. Be honest and truthful. Okay. Mm -hmm. Starts to move you into the deeper nines, build a respectable reputation. Okay. Further. Remember you and your life are an example to others. Oh, yep. Now we're in four nines. Be happy and cheerful, develop and maintain a strong and healthy body. Because if I'm not a healthy body, then I'm not showing that I care about eternity and other people Mm -hmm. give serious thought to your future career in life, to your own self, be true, be one of one. Mm -hmm. And remember that God loves you very much no matter what. And so those are the 10. And if we follow those 10, and that's why it's a kid's book of people, uh, the the co-founders of of Living a Better Story, 
Yeah. And it's their story of what they what they did where they they were a little like, well, I yeah, probably should have done that. You know, went in a crane and dropped a 20 foot long <laughs> broken. <Yep. pit. laughs> and they're like, oops. And then they all ran home and felt guilty and cried in the corner. Right. It's like, okay, does that help you move to five nines reliability? You need to think about that. Yeah. No, absolutely. No, one of your questions is how did the tragedy help us further in life, you know, or later in life? Yes. And I looked so much through this, you know, it was a lot of reflective work that I had to do from my father dying to moving to another country, to going back to Brazil, to coming back to the States, you know, and just me and my mom always together. And my mom was my rock. I mean, my mom's faith, you know, never wavered in my life. You know, my mom never went against God in my teenage years when I wanted to rebel against God or when I, you know, I did not want to do those. Like these people are hypocrites. I don't like my mom was always like Jesus said, follow him, not follow men. Mm -hmm. Right. So she was always that steady, steady word in my life. And if I had not had that, I don't think I would have dealt with this situation like I did. Wow. And so the end of the show is in what year did everything finally come to, there were court cases probably and whatnot, and then everything was revealed. Yeah. Yeah. So that at the emergency hearing, which was the three days after they seized my children, we have an emergency hearing, which is when the sole custody was given to my husband and I was kicked out of my house and I was given seven hours of monitored visitation a week with both my sons. Mm -hmm. You know, that was painful. I was court ordered to take child abuse classes, parenting classes, individual counseling. Wow. That's I took a polygraph. I took psychiatric evaluations. But your level of sympathy and empathy for someone in a similar situation now is, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's probably where you're headed is helping people like that. Yes, absolutely. And that child abuse class, I was thinking to myself, like, what the heck am I going to do in a child abuse class? I'm probably going to be in there with a bunch of drug addicts, alcoholics, domestic violence, you know, abusers, a bunch of tattooed, pierced people. You know, that's what I thought I was going into. That's your feeling, sure. And when I get there, everybody's in the same boat that I was. Wow. By (laughs) a large percent margin. So when they talk about systemic problems, both sides are trying to politicize it all. Right. But the reality is it's very real. Like even real. things like the one that came to mind recently is when we're moving boxes and, and yeah. a friend of mine, his grandfather was brought in on a boat. And mm-hmm. so he has a very different opinion of the term master. So if you see the term master on a box, a moving box or on master class, yeah. like I saw one and now I'm having, I'm having an allergic reaction to the word because I'm feeling him. And so I took it a step further and I said, mm-hmm. let's just do a Google survey to a thousand random people in America and figure out mm-hmm. what the percentage of people. So imagine you're now America, put that code on right now. You right. have you're 330 million people. You're America yeah. Yeah. and you've got a pain in your leg. That's like, I can't even walk. Like I have a shin splint or something for like yeah. two weeks. And I'm like, this is stupid. Like, where's it going to go away? Right. Well, <laughs> what would you do? You would take care of that leg. Right. So it represents the percentage. So guess how many percent? Do not like the word master. Take a guess out of hundred percent. What do you think it would be? Master. Gosh, probably a huge percentage, at least 70 to 80. 17. Really? Yeah. On a box. Cause I, mm-hmm. I kind of phrased it as, do you care if it's on a box? Cause the master bedroom for context, right? For the master, master yeah, bedroom. I guess I'm thinking of master. Yeah. Like yeah. Pod, I, right? I didn't put it in context correctly. <laughs> yeah. If it was master that it's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. But when you 
when you're doing something and seeing it for 50 yeah. years, it's right. just there and it becomes Nothing, part of your yeah. reality. Right. So, but what happened to this gentleman is that his grandfather was brutally murdered in a lake and his grandmother watched it happen by very evil and bad people. Right. And so his vehement reaction to that. So I felt that when I, just like when Jesus takes on the sin of the world, I yeah. literally am filming myself trying to tell a story in my closet about yeah. this. It's funny. That's interesting that it was in my closet too, because that coming out of the closet thing too, I'm married happily and I believe in husband and wife and everything. However, I don't believe Jesus, if he's sitting across this from a gay person who, by the way, means happy, he's not going to condemn them. He's going to say, I love you and you and you and you, you're, you're amazing. You're a butterfly. You're a yeah. speedboat, you know, yeah. uh, you're a, you know, like, so yeah. I think everything that we're seeing in society right now is what you're talking about is mm -hmm. it needs to be exposed yes. and unraveled. Uh, Definitely. And it's I mean, it's going to be amazing points, when we get to the other side. Yeah. Like, you know, nobody ever judged my character, but at one point my mom called me, I know I couldn't live at my house. I was kicked out of my house. I couldn't live with my mom because she was the primary caretaker to help my husband, you know, cause he was working. He couldn't take care of the two kids. So I was living with my pastor at my pastor's house. And she called me one day and she said, Rachel, I've been praying. And one word keeps coming to my mind and it's repent. And I thought, okay, repent. I felt like Job at that moment. I'm like, are you telling me I need to repent <laughs> of something or I did something to deserve this? Mm -hmm. You know, so that's not what she meant. You know, we talked about it later, but that's how it was perceived at the moment for me. But even in that moment, you know, God will use anything. And I took it up in prayer at that moment. I said, okay, God, who sinned, right? Was it my father? Was it my mother that my son was born blind? Like why repent what? Wow. And again, Holy Spirit just spoke to me. He said, repent of this evil world, right? This is just the evil world that we live in. Yeah. Wow. And what you are with. On behalf of the world. Yeah. Because the world's becoming the person and people are seeing we're all interconnected. We're all brothers and sisters. Right. And yeah. And, it, and yeah. if you, if you don't, there's, mm -hmm. there is a time of judgment where it's like, right. Hey, and it's not us to judge. I yeah. love you no matter what, like it's, right. you can't do anything that would cause me to not. And that's yeah. the part when you're, when you're, huh, there's something going on in my life currently that mm -hmm. goes back to an incident where I was unfairly accused of something and the news media mm -hmm. exacerbated it. It cost yeah. the company hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so it's in motion. And the first thing God told me in my parents' bedroom while I stayed at their house for eight days in my old bedroom during all of this yeah. was forgive them. They know not what they do because yeah. they're living there. There you matter, right? They're raised right. in a certain way. And yeah. their, their combination of all of that. And that's why we need to be little children. We need to understand what we're passionate about. And that's why I like to ask the, what were you doing when you were younger? Now yeah. I know you like to sing. I know you, you would probably be in a play. Like yeah. I've been wondering who's going to actually finish my song because <laughs> it's written. We've got Rev 2. I yeah. want to record it with the person who wrote it with me. That's like the, the genuine one. But yeah. I also want to do the one that might get played on Christian radio and right. on the air. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and, and then you showed up and I'm like, well, <laughs> there you go. I think we've got Rachel, yeah. Bruno. me, Rachel, Bruno. Yeah. <laughs> one of one. Yeah. So I want to ask one more question. And that is around when did God undeniably show up in your life? You already said he spoke to you mm-hmm. and, and you, you could hear him. So I've heard people hear, feel there. Have you ever heard the song called perhaps love by John Denver? Yes. So if you replace the word love with God, it changes the entire lyrics. I know someone who knew John Denver personally and very well, and in fact, influenced John to write two songs. Like this is a very important man in history. And so he could see the words and feel them come out, but he was very smart because if he said, perhaps God is like an ocean full Mm -hmm. of conflict, full of change, they would be like, wait, but you're, you're telling me they, they spit it out. But if you say perhaps yeah. love, you the general population can buy love. Like, yeah, I want to love right. you. And so yeah. to me, it's like, that's how he casts the wide net, brings him into the boat. And we need to be careful of that. Because if we go, Jesus yeah. saves Jesus. And the guy on the corner, <laughs> Matthews was really turning people off to Jesus. Yeah. Um, so yeah, perhaps love is a very good song. No, music is amazing. I mean, even that, you know, while I was at my pastor's house, my son was still in the PICU. Lucas, he stayed there for 14 days. So I would sleep at my pastor's house and every morning I would head to the hospital and I would spend all day with with Lucas at the hospital. And as I drove, this song played every single day in the car, right? I'm aging myself. I had an iPod. Remember the little iPod? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I had the U2 one with all their signatures on the back. (laughs) And I had that hooked up in the car. Wait, you had which, which song? It's a song called All I Once Held Dear. Oh, wow. Wow. And I I never paid attention, right? Until one day I'm like, why is this thing broken? Right? Is it on repeat? (laughs) And it wasn't, but it was always playing. And then I finally stopped and listened to the lyrics. Yes. And it goes, all I once held dear, built my life upon, all this world reveres and wars to own. Hmm. All I once thought gain, I have counted loss, spent and worthless now compared to this. Knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. You're my all. You're the best. You're my joy, my righteousness. And I love you, Lord. Mm. And as I heard that, I just started crying in the car. I'm like, oh, my God. (laughs) You know, you kept asking yourself, why is this happening? And I'm like, this is it. You know, knowing you, Jesus, knowing you. Yeah, 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 yeah. And now some people argue, well, like when I went to the hospital to get a COVID test, to go to the Dave Matthews concert because I just got over it and <laughs> yeah. you need to have that. Right. Yep. And so, um, so I went in and, and they, I had a Jesus shirt on. So mm-hmm. when I do that, you're, you're, you're looked at a little differently. Right. So I was treated a little differently. That was very interesting to mm-hmm. feel that, right. Like, Oh, you're one of those. Right. Yep. <laughs> and so they're like, have you got the vaccine? And they, you know, and they just go deep down this yeah. rabbit hole. And you're like, and I'm like, I just got over the virus. My, yeah. uh, all of my family are doctors. Cause she was like, you need to go get it like tomorrow. Yeah. And so then I said, well, you know, the doctors told me that I shouldn't do it for two to four weeks. And by the way, my dad's a radiologist, my brother's anesthesiology, everyone in my family. So mm-hmm. what you're telling me, ma'am, is actually against what the doctors, and she, and she said like tomorrow. And I go, yeah. whoa, whoa, whoa. Like hold the line, right? I'm told not to actually. So right. it was very right. interesting to see 
uh, yeah. how, that, how that all plays out. So, well, this has been a really amazing conversation. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, God's grace is in the difficult times. I've had 80 of these conversations and I would say 80 for 80, it's, it is the truth. Um, yeah. My daughter had a friend commit suicide five years ago and it was painful and hard. And yeah. now we went, saw her this last weekend at her school and she wanted, she's, she loves animals. She wanted to be a vet. And I'm mm -hmm. like, Hey, has anything changed in your first eight weeks? Well, I really like the speech therapy class. And I think I want to work with people. I think I want to go into psychology, but I want to use animals and equine therapy. And, and I'm just like, because yeah. yeah. <laughs> I knew there would be a silver lining be, be, behind all of that. Right. And then her friend had pink hair and she goes this summer. Now I'm an adult. I'm, I'm <laughs> going to do the pink hair tips. Or whatever. And I'm like, that's a beautiful thing because she's right. leaning into the sympathy. And yeah. so she, when I told her everything that's been going on since 923 and the three tragedies, she's always been leaning in on one of one. And she yeah. saw me leaning in on a group, right? For a while I was leaning yeah. towards a color and it wasn't blue <laughs> and she's blue as they can come, but really we're both purple. We're right down the middle. We want us, we yeah. want everyone to know they're one of one. I want freedom and liberty and justice for all, just like the constitution says. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to represent is, is right. that. Yeah. And so she gave, embraced me for two minutes after this weekend. And <laughs> I haven't had that since she was about seven years old and oh. now she's 18. Yeah. And it's such a wonderful and beautiful, amazing feeling when, when, yeah. when your daughter comes running back to you in your arms. Yeah. What a thing. Yes. Amen. <laughs> well, let's close with a short prayer. I've been learning. That's a good thing to do on these. So God, yes. thank you for Rachel Bruno. She's one of one. You are, you are there when the pain occurs. Some people say like the nurse that day said that, Oh, God hit you with the, with the two by four. Incorrect. In 80 of these conversations, the same thing comes up every time. When tragedy strikes, you are there and you're there with open arms. You actually, there's a weeping Jesus cross. And I never understood it till recently because I've heard multiple people say, God caught the tears when, when a fellow lost his mother to COVID just six, eight weeks ago. He survived, she did not. And it's painful. And he calls it painful beauty because it's in between the unprocessed pain and the getting to know Jesus, that's the amazing thing. So God, you showed that to Rachel. She's forgiven the people who were part of this and, and may have caused her to lose her child. And yet you showed up and that's what you're doing now by allowing Rachel to tell her story because it needs to ripple through eternity. These stories need to get to people so that the system can be changed so that your love shows up. There's too many rules. The Old Testament is called the Old Testament for a reason. It's old. The New Testament is new. America's going through some birthing pains. Hearing from people like Rachel is important so that we can all come together and we can all know your love through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you yeah, so much for being here. Too. And uh, thank you, everyone. We'll catch you on the next Loving a Better Story podcast. Right. If people right. want to reach you on your book, too, before we go, I do want to ask you that one thing. Where would they find you, Rachel? They could go on my website, www.rachelbruno.com. There is a form to fill out. We're getting ready for pre-order. So in the book, you know, there's a lot more to the story. It's a long story to tell in one hour. But we did get our kids back. My sons are perfect. 
another miracle. Even mm -hmm. my, the one who suffered the brain trauma, he is in first grade now, has reached all his milestones. We did sue them. We sued the state of California and we won. So there's a lot to this story. You know, there's redemption in the story. There's hope in this story and faith in the story. Wow. My son faced second, third degree burns on his face and hands on, on uh, February 17th. Pray, pray, pray. And long story short, when you take the gauze off, they, they said it was bad. They were going to have to take off half of his leg to put it on his face and sew it on. Yeah. Well, they used a new treatment called resell and they only took two inches off. My mom prayed mm -hmm. all night and he was healed by the power of God. His left hand still has a little, you know, the, it's slowly moving its way towards the center, but he yeah. can talk, he can write, he can see, didn't lose his eyesight, didn't even lose his eyebrows, lost some of his hair, but <laughs> amazingness. And the, um, it's interesting because the, the legal thing going on in, in my situation, yeah. funny enough, today's the day that it goes live. Oh, wow. And it's been nine months in the waiting. Yeah, <laughs> And so your story gives me the confidence because this morning when I woke up, I'm like, I was ready to start taking the coat of arms on and going, okay, I got to protect me and my family. No, God's got all that God, covered. Let yeah. the spirits do their thing. Yeah. It's not yeah. you. You gave up the lion a long time ago. Yeah. Let the spirits <laughs> do their work and they will. So that's what Amen. we're all right, everybody. Thank you so much. Rachelbruno.com. And um, what an amazing story. I think we need to talk because uh, this, the song needs a singer. It's called I Am Yours. When you give your life to God, 10 minutes from the end of the road is the subheader because a lot of people are 10 minutes from the end of the road. And it talks about that experience. Mm -hmm. And it's written by someone who's really a good friend of mine. She's met God. And so have I. He came in my room the other night the peace of God that passes all understanding. That's the best way I can describe it. He was there. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. okay, um, okay, we're good. I've seen you. Go, go be Santa Claus to someone else because I've already experienced you. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so exciting. All right, everybody. We'll catch you on the next. Thank you for joining us on the You Matter to Christ podcast. We hope this journey has reminded you of the incredible truth that your life holds immense value and significance. To Christ. As you go about your day, may you carry the assurance that no matter what you face, you are deeply cherished and loved. Remember, you matter to Christ. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and share it with others who may benefit from this message. Stay tuned for more transformative episodes where we continue to explore the depth of God's love and grace. Until next time, remember that you are not alone. Christ's love is with you, guiding and strengthening you every step of the way. May your life be filled with hope, purpose, and the knowledge that you matter to Christ.